Hey, this is Web3 Talks. The rule of this podcast is simple. We only talk with people who have hands-on Web3 building experience. So if you are a hacker, entrepreneur, or investor, you can get inspired by your stories, lessons, and fuck-ups. My name is Mac, and I'm hosting this pod. If you want to stay in touch, go to twitter.com slash webfreetalks, click the link in the pinned tweet, and join our Discord community. Let's go. Before we start this episode, a quick reminder that we are partnering with Epic Web3, which is organizing a conference on how to build and grow Web3 products. And their lineup is really strong. Among conference speakers are people responsible for product and growth in Poap, MakerDAO, Polygon, Uniswap, Gnosis, Ledger, MetaMask, Decentraland, and many, many more. During the event, there will also be a startup pitch competition, speed consultations with web-free experts, and one-on-one networking sessions with investors. Everything will happen on the 9th of June in the sunny city of Lisbon in Portugal. I will be at the event moderating some panels, so if you want to meet up in real life, it will be a good opportunity to do it. This partnership wouldn't be possible without you, so I organize a discount for all our listeners. Just type in WebFreeTox code at the checkout and you will get 15% off your tickets. Go to epicwebfree.com to learn more about the event. Three things before we start. Uh, first of all, this episode will have a free to mint NFT. Since some of you said that Ethereum gas fees were too high with the last mint, this one will be available on Polygon, so the gas should be a few cents. And the mint will be on highlight.xyz, so you will be able to see how the platform that we discussed today looks like in practice. I added the link in the description, so you don't need to look for it. Um, secondly, the ad about Epic Web Conference you've just heard you can get a completely free ticket to it. How to get it? Look at the description of the episode, find a link to the giveaway post on Twitter and follow the steps described in the post. Third thing, Web3 Talks is competing for a Smoothie Award. And Smoothie is like product hunt that helps people discover new Web3 products. I would appreciate an upvote from you since it will help more people discover the podcast. You just need to connect your wallet and click the upvote button. It takes like 30 seconds or even less. You can find the link in the description as well. Thanks, thanks a lot. Sorry for so many announcements, but I guess all of them will be useful for you. So today's guest is Nat Modi, a co-founder and CEO of Highlight. And Highlight is a tool that lets you easily start your NFT collection and share it with your fans so they can mint it and hold it. But it's just the surface because it's a little bit more because I spent some time testing this tool. So I can I already know some answers how different it is, but I'm sure Nat will cover that in depth today. Even if you think, okay, so is, is it like Zora or is it like Manifold? Well, it's the same area, it's like the same space, the same part of the market, but it's a different tool. So before we start, Nat, could you tell us like what chain of events led you to starting Highlight? 
what's the backstory here? Yeah, I'll make this quick, but always been an entrepreneur, always been pretty deep into tech and programming and design, starting back to, to when I was a kid. So I always knew I wanted to start a computer business of some kind. But my interest in crypto started pretty early, like many people with the Bitcoin white paper. And it grew a lot while I was working at Square. So in my career, I spent about five years working at Square, which, as you know, was a pretty early company to incorporate Bitcoin into different products. And while Bitcoin was the gateway for me, many friends and actually some colleagues at Square left to go work on DeFi and and other things, which got me interested in Ethereum. What's always interested me about technology was this idea that it can bring people closer together and it gives you also the ability for people to make money in important new ways as a result. And so when I was at Square, one thing that was always really profound was the idea that a business owner could get this little free piece of hardware plug it into a phone and suddenly be able to accept credit card payments overnight. And this is revolutionary for small business owners. Plug in this piece of technology and boom, you have 20% or 30% more sales on Thursday than you did on Wednesday. In my career after that, I worked in worked in food delivery, beginning of the, the gig economy. And it was a similar idea. You had people who had pretty limited skills in some ways, immigrants, younger folks, and just with a bicycle and a smartphone, you can make 20 bucks an hour on your own schedule and on your own terms. And so, of course, in 2023, all of this sounds kind of quaint and we take it for granted, but these were huge unlocks for different segments of society. So bringing it all together, I knew I wanted to start a business after my my last job. I was working at DoorDash and my neighbor in um, the Bay Area is actually now a well-known NFT artist. But at some point in 2020, I was sitting in my backyard with him and he started to tell me about Nifty Gateway, uh, which I hadn't heard of before. And he had always been an artist, my neighbor, but he was increasingly doing advertising work. So for TV mostly to help him pay the bills. And his art is this high def video format, very high production stuff that you might see in a commercial, but it was also his artistic medium. And he couldn't really find a real market for his work as an artist. And then suddenly with NFTs, this became a format that just made a lot of sense. So he ended up selling pieces through Christie's and Sotheby's over the last couple of years. And it's been just a complete reversal for his career as an artist all thanks to NFTs. And so he was the one who who helped push me down the, the rabbit hole on NFTs and uh, helped inspire me to start Highlight. Nice. So this is a pretty long story since you've been involved in these, well, basically three big parts of business at the early stage. So I would like to ask you one thing before we get to NFTs. How was working at Square at the, the early stage? Because five years ago, no, it's even more than five years. I guess it's like seven or something. It must have been very early stage. So could you share a little bit about this background there? It was a really interesting place to work. It was, to put in context, early 2015. So 
before the IPO and I think before Square really had figured out its business in a lot of ways. And it was at the stage from a tech company perspective where it was just starting to try to figure out how to be a multi-product business. So the original innovation of Square, the credit card reader that I mentioned that you could plug into a smartphone was the core business, but like all great tech companies, especially one that is going to be on the path to an IPO, you really need to think of an ecosystem of products. And this is how you see large successful companies develop, right? That are able to build boats and are able to really provide a range of services, each of which has different potential to generate revenue. And so my sort of earlier days at Square were while the company was trying to figure out what that strategy was going to look like. So there's a lot of exploration. There's things today that are massive businesses for Square. Cash App is one that comes to mind that now generates just about as much revenue for Square, I think, as the core business that everyone's familiar with. But at the time, Cash App was a way for people to email each other money. And they were just in the the stage of like building an app. And it was kind of this strange project that no one quite believed in. And it had an incredible team behind it. And they obviously figured things out. But there was probably five or 10 other experiments like that running at Square while I was there. And I also learned a lot from Jack Dorsey. I learned about how just the approach to starting a business, really just zooming in as close as possible on who the customer is that you're trying to serve and what their problems are and how you can help make their life better. And it sounds very simple, but it's something I think that often gets lost in startups and as people are building tech companies. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a very good background for starting your own company. Because, you know, you've worked with one of the best entrepreneurs of our generation. So like, you know, because Jack, like, of course, started Twitter, he started Square, he's also been involved in, in some other projects. So what were the early days of highlights? Because like you, you spoke with your friends, you sat in the backyard, you had the conversation and what happens next? Yeah, so formed a small team and we had in our first six months or so, a lot of exploration. We've always been interested in the Web3 space and how you onboard somebody to it and how you introduce someone to the idea of digital ownership. Like what would the experience be like? What context would matter enough for someone to get interested in owning an NFT? One of the first things we did, we built this site called hbdnft.com, which is still, still up, but it has a flow that helps you gift an NFT to somebody who does not have a crypto wallet and to do so for free. So we assume it's for your friend's birthday. You can buy an NFT of a pinata, you could sort of choose which one. And we send them a gift email and walk them through the process of claiming their gift by installing MetaMask and creating a wallet. And then we help you transfer it. And it was really just to explore that idea, right, of how to grow the number of users in Web3, how how many people would be interested in owning an NFT. And one of the things that took us a while to figure out was just what our point of view was right around Web3 adoption. And as a builder in Web3, there's often these core decisions around the type of user that you're trying to reach. 
So we spent a lot of time early on trying to understand what stages NFTs are at in terms of there's this old idea of crossing the chasm, right? Or the technology adoption life cycle, a little bit different, but you know, same train of thought. And while it's still clearly in the early adopter stages, the question of exactly what was holding it back, you know, had some some pretty complex answers. So scalability issues, mostly around transaction speed and cost were things we looked at, how to improve that. We looked at a variety of different chains, L1s that are out there that we thought could help address that. Security issues, how to get people onboarded into owning a wallet and having that be fully non-custodial was another thing we spent time on. And what that all led us to was our first product, which was a no-code NFT community builder. And it was designed for non-crypto natives. So as a creator from any walk of life, you could address 100% of your fans and you would know that the experience of onboarding them into owning an NFT of yours would not be hampered by technical complexity or transaction speed or cost or any of these other aspects of the user experience. And as a creator, you could deploy a smart contract to create your NFT collection without even needing a wallet or needing to pay gas. And your fans ultimately could buy these NFTs with just an email address and a credit card. So we started building in late 2021, and it was really around the expectation that NFTs were going to cross the chasm. And the audience there was not the early adopters, more more of this early majority segment. And when we launched in May of last year, in 2022, we quickly saw interest from mainstream folks from the sort of like early majority shift away from NFTs and Web3. And so we took a step back and we evaluated everything that we had built, which was, we thought, a, a pretty clean uh, consumer-grade product for doing these core things like deploying your own smart contract, minting NFTs, customizing NFT drops, adding utility to NFT projects. And we decided to rebuild it in a crypto-native way. And so... Throughout that journey, the sort of early exploration and where that took us, our core conviction has really remained the same. But from a timing perspective, we're seeing much better traction now with crypto natives. And that's that's interesting that you're saying that because this is exactly what Alex from Rarible told me, that they did the same thing. They said, okay, now the early majority is coming. We need to make the UX very clean for people who have never interacted with Wallet. And they had exactly the same result. (laughs) So it turned out that these people are not here because they were just tourists. And the people who stayed already know how to use Wallet. And even though they like clean UX, they don't care about things like using emails or credit cards. So (laughs) this is pretty funny that it's uh, so similar. So I wonder, like, how have you acquired your users? Because you started, as you said, like 2021. So that's been already more than one year ago. So uh, how you got your first users for these apps? Yeah, it's been a, a combination of a few things. I mean, nothing that 
would surprise you too much. So a lot on on Twitter and Farcaster, which we love. A lot of cold outreach to different types of creators. We did a, a product hunt launch, which actually surprised us and got us a good early base of creators to use our tools. And then from there, just kind of continued word of mouth. There was no no special tactic or channel. And yeah, basically asking anyone we knew who was looking to create an NFT project or token gate something to try our tools. So what, you said like GM, <laughs> friend, <laughs> are you planning to drop an NFT? Would you like to do it with us? Or was it a more elaborate <laughs> version of cold outreach? I'm sure we tried a bunch of different versions of that message, but I think that basic GM, please, you know, please check out our tool was, was probably the crux of it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And... Today, what one of the key features, at least from my perspective, that you have is that with Highlight, you can extremely easily token gate things. So it takes, I don't know, five clicks maybe to token gate content on your website or some external website if, if you prefer. But the way to do it easily and smoothly where people just like connect their wallet and it just works, there's no like, you know, some guild call a blend and some other external tools involved since it's more about websites this is like the key feature at least for me and i'm definitely going to use it for web free talks community because we just made the drop last week or two weeks ago so i'm wondering like how have you decided to build this particular feature and you know what was the process of building that yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think first to step back to explain a little bit just overall what Highlight can help to. The quick pitch is we're a no-code platform and we're designed to help creative people launch projects in Web3. We support both Ethereum and Polygon. And the first thing we can help you do is deploy your own custom smart contract and create NFT collections from it. So you can make open editions like you did recently limited editions, one-of-ones. This week, we're actually releasing a whole new feature where you can create what we call series. So NFT collections where every token is different, similar to like a PFP or a generative art project, for example. And then within that NFT collection creation toolkit, we have a couple dozen features. So to help you customize your contract and all the mechanics around your collection, in different ways. So you can do things like run timed sales, you can implement allow lists, you can token gate your sales, run auctions, you can limit the number of mints people can have, you can do splits on your proceeds and things like that. The second major area is what you mentioned. So that's token gating. And I can explain a lot more about that, but it's a whole feature set that allows you to create custom experiences for any type of token holder. And the third thing is we can help you use these tool, tools as low-code embeds. So you can build customized experiences on your own website. And so we have kind of simple SDKs to help unlock that. And to explain more about the token gating feature, we spent a lot of time on it and I'm happy to hear that it caught your attention. We really discovered that need from talking to many different creators 
where we know that the question on their minds was what to do after drop. What is um, my plan after we run this mint? There are all these NFTs floating around, but who owns them? How do I engage with these collectors? And so we started building our token gating tooling and worked with a few really established creators and asked them what they were looking to do. Like you have all these NFTs, what's your, what is it you're trying to do? And invariably it came down to token gating different things, rewards, content, surveys, polls, lots of different use cases. The trickiest part that we found was for creators building a token gate that would let anyone through if they owned specific NFTs. And so for established creators who have done multiple projects, this can be a real headache. So one example, we worked closely with the music artist Verite, and she had done something like 10 or 15 different NFT projects across her own stuff that she played with, uh, across Catalog and Royal. She had a uh, proof of attendance project for people who attended her, her live concerts. And she came to us and had a few thousand collectors that were split across all these projects. And they ranged from Ethereum-based to Polygon-based projects all different token standards. Some of those standards were much older. Some were pretty modern, just regular kind of ERC-721 or 1155 standards. And we saw this pattern over and over, how the need was simple. I want to give this big group of people who own one of my NFTs something, but to solve it and to make a gate that would meet those requirements was pretty complex. And so what we've what we've built is a pretty powerful tool. And in just a few minutes, you can create token gates from any contract address, from any token ID, NFTs that have certain attributes. So think of, for example, anyone who owns a board ape with gold fur, for example, you could narrow it to that specific attribute or any other attribute. Open CRLs you can plug in. And you can also create a allow list for specific wallets can require Holderstone a certain balance of any ERC-20 or any amount of ETH or, or Matic. That was the first step in solving that problem. But what we heard next was that telling collectors about these token gating experiences was a problem. So if someone got your open edition for Web3 Talks, say a few months ago, how are you going to tell them that you've created something special to re-engage them? That's a real headache. I mean, like, <laughs> I really experienced that. Like, we finished Mint. I, I was pretty happy with that. I look at these CS file of, you know, wallet addresses, and I'm like, how the hell I'm going to reach these people now? Like, there's either scan chat, but no one reads that. So I could, like, one by one, try to find them using ENS domains on Twitter and try to DM them. But, you know, of course, then I will land in spam probably. So it was a real headache. So I'm really curious to, you know, learn about your solution because I, I know that you have something there to, to, to solve that problem. Yeah, so our next feature around this is, is what you just mentioned or alluded to where either through an NFT drop uh, so through a mint or or through a gate, you can now capture someone's email address 
So unfortunately, Mac, this doesn't help if you've already run your open edition. You should have used highlight probably for that, but that's okay. What what it does help you do is once you get folks to come back through your token gate, you can ask them to provide their, their email. And that gives you just a baseline channel through which to communicate going forward. Yeah, and, and you know, all these things that you that, that, that you mentioned, like from outside they they seem like nothing special. Okay, you can deploy your smart contract in a few clicks, you can token gate your content, you can gather email addresses. But although they are simple from the user point of view, they are extremely useful and they are not a standard because if they were a standard, I would have my emails already collected. This is something that shows, uh, you know, your uh, maybe the thing that you learned from Jack Dorsey <laughs> regarding really learning about customers' problems and trying to solve them in a smooth way. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, how does it work in the long term since, you know, these NFT minting no-code tools are getting more and more popular. So what's your plan to compete with, with other tools like that? Is it about, you know, finding these features that you mentioned that are, you know, they are very slick and very useful, or is it about something else? Yeah, so we think it's a pretty simple value proposition, as you point out, for Highlight. Given creators these tools that they need to launch successful projects that involve NFTs, and why we think it's important is it helps creators like yourself save time and save money, and it helps also optimize the success of what you're doing in your project because you're able to do things like capture emails, as we talked about, but you're also able to deliver a really smooth minting experience and and then have all the tools to, to engage and retain collectors beyond the mint. In terms of differentiation, though, we think the opportunity for building this type of tool in Web3 is fast. So there will be lots of room for multiple companies over time. We think there's probably going to be multiple billion-dollar companies that just cater to specific use cases, such as art or gaming or live experiences or podcasting. And so we don't think too much about competition or competitors at this point. It's really just focused on customers and how we can help creators do a better job with their NFT projects. Mm-hmm. So you think the market will be so big that at least at this point, it doesn't matter since you will work out your position as you are very close to the customer? I think so. I think if you look at any individual and you kind of peel back the layers and understand the product roadmap a little bit, you can start to see different use cases emerging that, you know, as Web3 grows and we start to see more and more people wake up to the idea of digital ownership, will become just major business lines for them. Just a short break to remind you that if you like this podcast, please don't hesitate to subscribe and give it a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks a lot. Do you have any personal favorite NFT use case so far? Something that, you know, you, not as a Nat CEO of Highlight, but more Nat as a person, uh, really like? You know, I, I would say, in general, we're always really interested in the art use case. We think art has 
just really interesting potential with Web3 and with NFTs. It solves a big problem for certain types of artists, uh, digital artists and generative artists that haven't been able to find a market in the same way for their work. But what we think is even more interesting than that is the ways that certain art projects lean into the unique properties of NFTs. So things that aren't really possible in any other medium. A couple examples there, there's projects like Blitmaps, which was probably my first NFT project that I collected or among my first in 2021. And it's a project where there's 100 seed images. And if you have multiple of them, you can combine them and you can make another. In a similar vein, there is one called QQL that I really love, which is from the artist Tyler Hobbs. And it's a generative art project where collectors are curating the output of the collection. So yeah, a couple examples to illustrate, but that sense of co-creation, that sense of the collector having a hand in the art that is created, to us has a lot of really interesting potential and is one that we're researching quite a bit these days. Yeah, I really like Jack Butcher's tracks because of that. As you could, you know, combine different tracks and burn them to create different collections. And then although like I was a moron uh, because I've seen this early $8 open edition mint and I was like, ah, I don't know, $8, it's bear market, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but then when I've seen this like open edition, I minted that. And the fact that he changed the metadata of the NFT after it's been minted is something that really leans into the power of NFTs and what makes them special because you couldn't do it with physical art. You couldn't just like change the link to the image. So, you know, so, so this is something I, I really, really like. So with Highlight, you can token gate a lot of things. Uh, you can token gate raffles, you can token gate minting new editions, you can token gate merch. So only people who own Board Ape can buy Board Ape merch. So I'm wondering, like, what were the most interesting use cases you've seen so far regarding this token gating? Yeah. All of the things you mentioned, I think one of my recent favorite examples is a project called Codex Library. And Codex Library is really interesting because it helps show the power of Web3 to unlock, I think, not just new use cases, but maybe even a new type of creator. And so it was started to help bring ancient books on different topics, poetry, art, architecture, science, online, and to display them in a really beautiful user interface, and then to build a community around that of you know, ancient book enthusiasts. It started as an open edition, and the creator of it raised a significant amount of money through the open edition and is now using Highlight to power the token-gated parts of their project. So holders of the open edition can come and view and scan through different high-resolution interactive copies of these antique books. And if you think about how this model might work in Web2, someone would create a website and they would put ads on it maybe to help fund it or charge money to download a PDF and then 
you know, someone would have on their local drive, a file somewhere they could look at and not much there. But with Web3, the upfront crowdfunding from the open edition helped power the project and collectors could connect about it from the moment of that crowdfunding campaign in a pretty unique way. And just the community that's being built around it, the experience now where you need this secret key in order to access this world, really previously wasn't possible. So that's that's one that I like a lot. It's like a book club 2.0. Like I, I could imagine, you know, Balaji as he he had this like pre-order for Network State, and whenever you pre-ordered, you could get an NFT. So I could imagine he created like his closed group chat for people who read the book or at least bought it because he can't check whether they read it. But like, you know, people who want to discuss this book and, you know, elaborate on these ideas. It's really interesting since it's it could take the other much closer to the readers and also create a community among readers who otherwise would never really meet maybe on some reddit but like not everyone is there to say the least uh so you know that like you said that highlight is a tool for creators and and i know that it's like a self-serve tool so it's like a typical consumer says you can click things and things happen <laughs> things magically happen on the screen but do you also work with bigger creators just like this, you know, customer success team to help them get 100% of the experience? Or have you not decided to do that because of any reason? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we talk to creators every day to help them with their projects. We do give white glove support to some creators where, where it makes sense, where it's a more complex project. We're a small team, so we don't build projects from scratch. But we're always always helping creators get projects launched, whether that's just helping answer questions about how they're using our tooling or in a few cases, more, more involved projects. Mm-hmm. So could you share any examples like how it might look like in a case some creator is listening to that and might be interested in that kind of help? Yeah, I think the best thing is to send us an email. Folks can email gm at highlight.xyz. And we, you know, li- limited bandwidth, but we're always interested in hearing ideas and proposals and seeing what the best way is for us to get involved. Mm-hmm. And and the things that this person might expect from you is apart from these questions, do you also help with, you know, sharing best practices or I don't know, like how to set up something on your website or and any other things? Yeah, it's, it's everything from taking an idea that maybe needs some advice or some best practices on the strategy of doing an NFT drop, when to drop, how many to drop, how to price things, how to build up interest for it uh, from your community to how to run the drop itself. So things like allow lists, how to time those, how to use our tooling to set them up properly, and all the way through to bigger ideas, like the example I mentioned where folks are looking to build token-gated experiences using the tools. And so that's 
a little bit more on the technical side where someone wants to code some kind of custom experience and use highlight for the token gated piece of it. Okay. And regarding this token gated, I know that some time ago you started partnership with Paragraph and, you know, calling that we, we had Colin a few episodes ago here and, and we spoke about this uh, idea and how these two things intersect because you can drop an NFT and collect emails, Paragraph can provide newsletters, which makes perfect sense. So I'm wondering, you know, what other type of partnerships do you have or, or, or do you consider having what might make sense for a tool like you to cooperate with? Yeah, so we're always interested in talking to partners. We have a few announcements coming with different partners that we're working with. For us, in terms of how we consider it, it just comes down to the core problems that creators are having and how a partner could help them solve it more efficiently than we could. So with Paragraph, the need for NFTs that were collectible artifacts for different posts that creators are writing was something that that team had heard a lot about. And so we were happy that that our tools were kind of a solution there to help creators with that need. Mm -hmm. And how do you do this business development? Do you have like one person in a team dedicated for that? Or is it more opportunistic in a, in a sense that you have some idea and then you just prepare deck and everything yourself? Yeah, it's more. It's a little bit more organic at this stage, uh, so we don't have a person who's responsible for it. It's mostly talking to creators, hearing about what tools they're using that we could potentially integrate with. Some cases, getting inbound from other founders on different channels who they have users who are looking to have functionality that we can provide. So yeah, pretty pretty organic, I would say at this stage. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. Since Highlight is about minting and token-gating NFT experiences, I'm wondering what are the most important metrics and factors that you follow when you're growing this business? Something that might be on your dashboard or something that you check weekly or monthly to see whether you're on the right track. Yeah, for sure. It's a bunch of things that you just mentioned. So number of smart contracts deployed, the number of NFT collections from those contracts that have been created. We track those across testnets and mainnets. So testnets for us are an indication of the number of folks who are using our tools who are getting ready for for a drop, which would appear on mainnet. When we see collections that are released on mainnet, like of course we track number of NFTs that are minted. We track the different types of NFT collections. So is it a open edition? Is it more of a series collection like the one I was alluding to? We track data on the overall value of NFTs sold. Of course, we don't charge any fees for that at this point in time, but we always think about sales as a metric that we're trying to optimize for, for creators, helping creators make money from their projects. And then we track a lot of the higher up the funnel metrics that you would imagine, things like traffic, wallets connected, and uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. And you said quite a lot about this exploration stage that you had in both Square and also at the early, early days of Highlight. 
So I'm wondering what assumptions did you have about the product, about the market, about the users? And which of these assumptions were proven wrong or you had to kind of like pivot your mindset? Something that really surprised you during the development of this project? Yeah, I think it was, I think it had to do with some of those early explorations around onboarding folks to Web3. And I think our assumption with that initially was that the problems that are preventing people from adopting Web3 are purely about the technology or the speed or the cost. So does this person have a wallet? Do they have cryptocurrency? Is it going to take a long time for them to do the thing they're trying to do? Is it going to cost them money, i.e. a gas cost? All of these things are true, and we definitely think they're barriers for mainstream adoption. But I would say it was interesting to me that there's a deeper need, I think, in designing that user experience to onboard somebody mentally to the concept of digital ownership. And what I mean by that is by abstracting away some of the technical friction that can exist, I think in some cases we saw people come to own an NFT in a non-custodial wallet that we had set up for a creator that they really cared about. And still, they didn't quite understand that this was a digital asset, that this was something that could hold value, something that they could buy or sell or trade, do different things with. And I think that once you fully understand that, you go through a, a bit of a paradigm shift and there's a real behavior change around how you interact with these different assets and how you interact with creators that we see crypto-native people in Web3 really understand. And so I think the ultimate adoption of NFTs by more mainstream audiences is going to require, of course, like much lower friction, as I was alluding to, but also some education around really like what you can do, because so many people have never, never had those abilities before, never had the sort of independence to take something, an interaction with a creator and hold it or sell it or stake it or do any of these new things that are now possible. Mm -hmm. And do you have any way of educating people? How do you think we should do it to make sure that they fully grasp the real idea behind NFTs, which is, of course, ownership? I think it's going to... I mean, I'm really excited to see some of the wallet technologies that are now starting to come out um, that are designed to provide this type of onboarding experience. I think there's easy ways, easier than some of the predominant wallets that we use in, in Web3, easier ways to just like introduce these concepts to people. So I'm not sure exactly what it will look like, but I remember when I was at Square, the Cash app team did a lot of things around Bitcoin in this regard, they helped create these very visual, engaging campaigns that helped explain what Bitcoin is and why it matters and how this could potentially benefit you. And that to me is something I kind of come back to. And I think at some point there's somebody, and, and maybe it will be us at Highlight, should build a version of that for NFTs to help sort of get mainstream people excited about this idea. Yeah, it would be interesting to see 
Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive designing a wallet. <laughs> I would definitely pay a lot to see that because it's it might be something really mind blowing. Tony Fidel at yeah. Ledger now. I'm expecting it. I think it's coming out in a couple months, but maybe that's the unlock a hardware wallet. We'll see. Yeah, actually, you know, I even like spoke with my friend a few days ago. We were coming back from Denver and he told me about the idea that Ledger might actually create a phone, which makes perfect sense since they are already in hardware and you could have this, you know, wallet integrated in your phone and so on. So there are many interesting directions that we could go uh, to from here. But, you know, like Ned, you've been building Highlight for the last almost two years. So I'm wondering if you were not building Highlight, what would you build in Web3? I think something at the frontier of the creator economy, something that helps individual creators succeed and, and thrive in new ways. I'm not exactly sure what that would look like, but I really like helping creative people make money and be successful. Okay. And, you know, if you had a magic wand and could fix one thing about Web3, what would you fix? Uh, Mac, come on. There's nothing to fix about Web3. Um, no, let's see. More focus on on use cases. And, and this one is for builders in the space that fall in love with the technology instead of falling in love with the problem uh, to which the technology is a solution. So I think for, for Web3 to succeed, and we just touched on this a little bit, it has to present 10x better solutions and 10x better user experiences. And I think we're still at a stage of building out a lot of, a lot of infrastructure and in some ways technology for technology's sake. And I think this is a pretty common trap to fall into, especially for people like myself that love technology and love building. But I think at the end of the day, it's important to, to zoom out and to build something for someone that, that fixes or improves something about their life. And I see tremendous potential for this through blockchains and through everything we're doing in Web3. And so I think, I think it's just a matter of time, but I think in general, just more laser focus on using the technology as a solution versus a, a means to an end. Yeah, I remember, you know, I, I was taking part in a hackathon at, at Denver and I started working on, on one app and then I started reading about some Next.js things, uh, some features. And I was like, oh my God, it's so interesting. And, you know, I found myself spending an hour and I'm like, damn, but like I have deadline to meet and I need to, I need this tag to solve a particular problem. I don't need to explore whole tech and now, you know, make PhD uh, <laughs> from Next.js. So, yeah, I, I feel you. <laughs> so where people can learn more about Highlight, where should they go? Is it Twitter, website, Farcaster, or any, any other place that you would recommend? Yeah, they can find us at highlight.xyz. Or on Twitter, it's highlight underscore XYZ. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just one note to the listeners, you will be able to see highlight in practice because from this episode, I plan to mint every episode on Polygon and I will use highlight to that. 
So you'll be able to see what have we covered today in, in practice. And these NFTs will serve as a way to join the token-gated community that I'm uh, rebuilding right now on Telegram. And there will be also some extra things like, uh, you know, updates through email on Paragraph and, and so on and so forth. So this is some alpha for you. Uh, I, I haven't consulted that with Ned, so this might be a surprise to Ned as well, but yeah. Cool. Very exciting. Let us know how we can help or if you have any user feedback. If you find any bugs and I don't think you will, let me know. <laughs> okay. So the last question I had for today is, do you have any idea for other guests, people that are builders in Web3, already have their products, already have some traction and might be open to sharing their experiences? Yes, I think you could have a really interesting conversation, especially recently with Ben Sharfstein and Aman Desi, uh, who are over at Stello. If you know Stello, they're doing really great work around adding a security layer to transactions and protecting users from scams, which I think is really important. So yeah, they would be great, great guests for you. Yeah, actually, I spoke about it with Ben at Farcruster Meetup at East Denver. And so this is part of our plans because Stello is one of these products that when I've heard about it, and I've heard it because Kevin was like he lost, you know, millions of dollars because of this exploit. And then Stello created this thread, like what would happen if he used Stello. And from then, like, I cannot imagine my life without Stello. So <laughs> I would be very happy to cover that. Yeah. Okay. So Ned, like, thanks a lot. And dear listeners, regarding this uh, Mint, you will see the link in the description. So don't worry about it. You won't have to look for it. Just click it. The Mint for this episode will be free. So I highly encourage you to, to Mint it. And hopefully see you see you soon. The next episode will be with one will be with the founder of XMTP with Matt, and one other will be with the founder of Unlock Protocol. So stay tuned. If you haven't subscribed yet, feel free to do that. Thanks a lot, Ned, for coming. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So this is almost the end. But if you like this episode and don't want to miss the next ones, feel free to subscribe. If you liked it a lot, I'd be personally grateful if you could give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks to these ratings, more people can learn about Web Free Talks, and it's really important to me. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.